This is Heather Meckes, Director of Discipleship at CRC, and this is our podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We hope this inspires you, encourages you, and allows you to see how God is moving in and around you. If you would like to check out more resources, go to coopersvillereform.com. Enjoy the message. Four thirteen through 17. It's on page 979 of the Blueback Bible, if you're interested in reading there. It reads as such. Now listen, you who say today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money. Why, you don't even know what will happen tomorrow. What is your life? You are a mist that appears for a little while and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if it is the Lord's will, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogant schemes. All such boasting is evil. If anyone then knows the good they ought to do and doesn't do it, it is a sin for them. You may be seated. I'm Pastor John, and I love serving the church, and I love serving this church, uh, Coopersville Reformed. It's, it's great to see you um, this morning. We, we are getting close to the end of our series in James. I uh, hope that this series has been encouraging to you. It's been edifying to you. I pray that uh, you have gleaned a lot from the words of Jesus's older or rather younger brother, um, James. Uh, so here's what we're going to be doing. As you can see on the screen, bottom left-hand corner, uh, we're, we're inviting you. So for those who don't know, many of you are a part of it. We have about 250 individuals who are a part of our texting group uh, that we have. And it's not one of those texting groups, by the way, where people are just rambling on there and you get ding, 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 and it's just like going off like the 4th of July on your phone. It's not that kind of texting group. We text you. Everyone who texts us back, we only get that, not everyone, not 250 people. Uh, but what we're going to be doing next week is we're going to be having some question and answer time over the book of James. We're actually going to read through all five chapters together as a church next Sunday. And so what we want to do after that is we're going to have myself and some elders up here on stage. um, And we're going to answer some of the uh, most asked questions in the book of James. But we really want to answer the questions that you have particularly. And so these questions can range from personal questions. Uh, We won't share your name, don't worry. Or they can range from very broad questions that you might have that pertain somewhat to the book of James. And so what we're asking is either today or sometime before or by Wednesday would be great. If you could get your questions to us, one of the easiest ways you can do that is texting 616-310-5004, and we will receive that, and we will 
maybe put your question on the screen to be answered next week. Or um, if, if you're just like a paper and pen type of gal or guy, uh, you just take your welcome card that's inside of your bulletin. You can write your question in the comment section or prayer section there and fold that up and put that in either one of the offering plates um, on your way out and we would love to. Or you can even Facebook message us um, and we'll connect with you that way. So please, church, hear me out. We wanna have some questions, all right? So study the book maybe over the next day or so and send us some questions. Maybe even by the end of this service, you have a question that you could either text or send via the welcome card. Uh, Before we dive in here to James chapter four, would you pray with me? Father, we love you. Thank you so much for your word. Thank you so much for your goodness. Thank you so much for your wisdom. Thank you so much for your mercy that is new today that we get to live in. For this is the day that the Lord has made. May we rejoice and be glad in it. We thank you uh, for this church body. We pray, God, that as your people, we would exude your spirit in this world and we would live in you and through you and for you. And may we seek to glorify you, God. We love you. Thank you for these people. May you be praised today for you are greatly to be praised. This in the mighty name of Jesus Christ. We pray. Amen. Just be real with me. Uh, Show of hands. Who's been grateful for the book of James in this season? Has has it spoken into your life? It's been speaking into my life a lot over the last several weeks. Uh, I've heard James called the blue collar scholar, which I kind of like that. Like he's just kind of like your ordinary type of dude who just loves Jesus, loves his older brother Jesus, worships his older brother Jesus, and, and he's someone that everyone can kind of relate with, right? When you're reading this, it's kind of, he's just like a tell it like it is guy, isn't he? And, and sometimes, if you want to be honest, some of you have um, heard of this, but people will say, I'm just a tell it like it is person, but sometimes they'll say that to kind of give license or exercise towards sin and just be one of those people who could just pop off at the mouth. James is not that. He's not like a tell it like it is guy who's just gonna like cuss you out or something and then just be like, well, I'm just a tell it like it is guy. He's a tell it like it is guy who's been captured by the Holy Spirit and it's beautiful because he just gets right to the point. He just gets right to the heart of the matter. Again, James is gonna talk directly to a certain segment of people. Just uh, as a recap, remember, he's writing this letter to a church that he is leading in first century Jerusalem. And it's primarily the Jewish people who he's writing to. And the segment of people that James is referring to here have a similar sickness that we too can have. It's the sickness of presumption. It's the sickness of presumption. Presumption is defined as an unhealthy self-confidence that assumes our life will go in the direction our plans and aspirations say they will go. The sin of presumption is an attack, I would say, against the sovereignty of God, against the will of God. To be presumptuous 
is to assume something that God is not necessarily promising. In light of that, the question that I want to ask this morning in lieu of our text is, what is your boast? What is your boast? Boasting in its simplest form is something that you take pride in. It's something that you would give and do give your verbal consent to, or your verbal applause to. Boasting in ancient times was a ritual that you engaged in before battle. How do you get a group of soldiers fired up before a war? You plan. Jesus actually talks about that when he says, hey, look, don't you before war go in and count how many you have against how many you're going against? Like, you plan, but and then once the planning is done, you have a little bit of what you would call maybe a boasting session, a rallying of the troops. We can do this. Am I right, Steve? We can, we can do this. Collectively together, we are greater. We will win. And in ancient times, they would boast before they actually went off to war. Essentially, you exude a great amount of self-confidence towards your soldiers before you go. You get them to kind of beat their chest a little bit. Some of y'all football fans, Michigan won yesterday. Maybe Michigan State, I think Michigan State pulled one off as well. Maybe they were playing Indiana, if I remember. I don't know. I just checked the ESPN scores at the end of the night. Michigan won by the skin of their teeth, it looked like. Almost an upset brewing. But have you ever watched the pregame? And some of the guys, I'm a Niners fan. Man, I love watching pregame when they show little clips online of what the circle looked like just 15 minutes before the game. And the boys are just getting in the crowd. And they're, hey, come on now, boys. We got this. They're, they're exuding confidence before they go out to play, to seek to, to win. Their boast in that moment is their belief that they will be victorious. What is your boast? Who is your boast? And the same type of boasting is the nature of our human heart. You were created to boast. You will naturally boast. We can all too easily beat our chest in a type of overconfidence, a, a look what I've done or a look what I can do type of mentality. But your boast and my boast will ultimately be what we find our true value in identity in. That's the reality. As we have seen throughout some of James, if you look ahead into verses one through six in chapter five, uh, you will see that James is speaking poignantly to the wealthy people of his day. Again, just want just to ask the question, is God against the rich? Absolutely not. If not, we, we'd be in big trouble out here in the West. Okay? We'd be in big trouble. Is God against the rich? Absolutely not. I've thrown some examples through my mind of, of Abraham, very wealthy rich. Genesis 13. Joseph, 
Very wealthy, started low, but start from the bottom. Now we got there, second in command, Joseph. Daniel, wealthy. Lydia, seller of purple goods, who was instrumental um, in the early church, specifically with Paul, the apostle. Philemon, very wealthy. The church meets in his house in the first century. And so the Bible does not condemn wealth or does not condemn the wealthy people. James is not dealing with people who simply have wealth, but when he's speaking to them so poignantly, he is speaking to people whose wealth has them. There's a, there's a distinct difference. You can be wealthy, and then your wealth can have you. You can have wealth, or your wealth can have you. James is speaking to those whose wealth has them whose wealth is their boast. Boasting deals with idolatry, and idolatry is not biased based on your socioeconomic status. Idolatry is not biased based on, based on your background or ethnicity. Uh, uh, idolatry and the sin of presumption is the root of boasting, and it happens to all of us, every single one of us. Our boast can often be good things that we turn into God things. Good things that we turn into God things. Let me give you a for instance. For instance, Jacob and his wife Rachel in the Old Testament. Rachel says to Jacob in, in Genesis 30, verse 1, she says to her husband, give me kids or I will die. Is the desire for kids a bad thing? Absolutely not. It's a beautiful thing. But when we add the or I will die to it, it becomes a idolatrous desire. It becomes a thing that is all-consuming. Your boast is what is most important to you. I would say it is what gets you out of bed in the morning. What gets you out of bed in the morning? Or who gets you out of bed in the morning? It can be as wholesome as our family, our boast can be, or our children. And it can be as trivial as our finances or our status. What is your rally cry to make it through another day if the Lord wills? What is your rally cry? The presumption that James touches on here at the end of chapter 4 um, deals with three particular areas. First, he touches on the area of life, right? He says, today or tomorrow, we will spend a year, right? It's, it's this lifespan that this person uh, that James is alluding to. It is the presumption that we can continue to live at will. That if we just will it, we will live. And that's a false presumption. The second touches on choice. It says today or tomorrow we will go or we will spend a, a year, we will trade or we will carry on business. It is the presumption that we are masters of our own life so that we need to do no more than decide and behold, it will just 
it'll happen. It's a presumption of choice. The third presumption that James alludes to here is the presumption on ability. That we will carry on business and we, we will go on to make money and of course it's going to turn out great. We shall succeed if we want. We can and we will do it. It's the presumption of our own ability in thinking so highly of ourselves that we go so far down the road in our dreams, thoughts, and aspirations that we just assume there will be a pot of gold at the end of that rainbow. And James, in order to humble and reorient us to our finite nature, reminds us of three sobering realities as it pertains to these presumptuous thoughts that we too easily can boast in. And I've shortened them and put them into my own words. One, life is short. Two, our instincts are often evil. And three, do good while you can. First, life is short. I go out to let my dog out in the morning, many mornings, and as I step out, especially now in the month of November, even in October, I breathe and I see my breath. And then I blink and it's gone. And James would say, so is it with life. It is here and it is gone. I've heard it said that when you're a child, time crawls. I remember as a child, I was just like, oh, I can't wait till I'm an adult. This has been going on forever. I've been bossed around by my mom, my older brothers. When you're young, time crawls. When you're in college, time walks. When you're a new parent, time runs. When you're older, time flies. And when you're at retirement age, time vanishes. Many of us here can relate with that. Secondly, James alludes to our instincts are often evil. That's the presumption. We often have evil instincts. You and I probably have made such presumptuous thoughts within the last week. Of course this is going to go well. Of, of course, I mean, you can make a presumptuous thought when it comes to our upcoming building proposal. Of, of course it's going to go well. This is all going to turn out glorious and great and grand. Of course. Again, it's not the planning ahead that isn't a great thing. You are called to plan. Read through the book of Proverbs. Planning is a necessary thing for great success. It's a necessary thing. We should plan. But presuming that life will automatically go well for us in the next day or year or decade is a fallen presumption. It takes one bad phone call to realize the weight of this reality. And if you get to know some people here, which many of you have, you will get to meet people who have received such phone calls. 
Thirdly, James reminds us to do good while we still can. James 4.17 says, If anyone then knows the good they ought to do, and they don't do it, it's sin for them. That's alluding to do good while you can. If not, and you know the good to do, God has placed it on your heart, given you the wisdom to do it, and you don't do it for you, it is sin. And for me, it is sin. Do good while you can. Don't wait to do good tomorrow or next year or five years down the road. If it's been placed within your heart to do it, do it today. Do it now. It just so happened as I was studying this text um, this week on Friday, I was at home and I was continuing my study and continuing preparation for this message. And one of my friends and mentors in Illinois came to my mind. Uh, now he's in his 70s, but I have a friend and a mentor who was in the hospital for four months back in 2016. When he originally went into the hospital with labored breathing, they basically said, you might have had three or four more days before we couldn't have done anything, Warren. Maybe if you didn't, if you didn't come here in about when you did, and maybe you lasted three or four more days, we wouldn't have probably been able to do anything. Then they rushed him to the University of Chicago, and it was clear that his only option was going to be a heart transplant. And so they're hitting him with all of the statistics, and they share with him not everyone can can receive a heart, so they have to do all of this psychological analysis to ensure that he indeed is one that can receive a heart and they're sharing with him all of the hard reality and his response to the doctor as I was speaking to him for well over an hour on Friday was Doc, it was a Jewish doctor, an Israelite. He said, Doc, I've had a great life. God has blessed me. If this is it, it's been great. It's been great. Thankfully, God provided a way for him to have a full heart transplant on January 13, 2016, and he is doing well considering all that he has been through since. In our conversation on Friday when I asked him, brother, what was your perspective or what has your perspective been on the other side of all of this? When I asked him that, he said, Life is hard, and then you die. <laughs> well, thanks. And he said, the biggest pleasure in life is to help lift someone else's burdens. And he shared, for, for the last seven years, that's just been our goal. With, with a kingdom mindset note. Because it's, we're just excited about lifting other people's burdens as God has provided for us to do so. Since 2016, I can't tell you the gospel impact that this man has made through his sacrificial giving. He and his wife have made great impact 
I'm talking planting churches, um, just what they have done for all of their life, but specifically since 2016, has been unreal. And what God has provided for them so that they can bless others has been otherworldly. He shared with me in as many words that he now sees life as more of a daily gift and not a right that is owed to him. It's a daily gift. And now as he lives on this borrowed time that God has mercifully given him and given all of us today as well, he is focused on strategically and sacrificially giving of his resources to make the greatest gospel impact that he can. Now when we consider these realities, the realities that life is short, that our instincts are often evil, and to do good while you can, while we still can do good, what will be our rally cry in life? Back to the question, what will be our boast? Or who will be our boast? Let's look at the prophet Jeremiah in Jeremiah 9. We have the Lord speaking here. He says, this is what the Lord says. Let not the wise boast of their wisdom. Can we boast in our wisdom today? Yeah. Or the strong boast of their strength. Can we do that today? Yeah. Or the rich boast of their riches. Can we do that today? Oh, yeah. Don't boast in those things. But let the one who boasts boast about this, that they have the understanding, the Lord says, to know me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth. For in these I delight, declares the Lord. You want to get about the kingdom business? Get into the justice that is needed in this world. Get, Get into the righteousness that God is bestowing on the earth through his spirit. Be one who exercises kindness and generosity. Be like our God our sovereign Lord. Paul in Galatians 6, verse 14, he says, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. May Christ have all of my boast through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. May our boast and the one we find our deepest value in be our relationship with our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. May he be our boast. If we want to brag, let us brag, but may it be on him, not on our own abilities and what we have made for ourselves. So in light of this, I I want us to walk away with some practical things to consider as we leave. Uh, the, the first thing I want us to walk away with is this saying that kept coming to my mind this week. Today is a good day to fill in the blank. Today is a good day to... With the brevity of life on our minds, we should be reminded that today is a good day to talk or to reach out to that person that God has been urging you to reach out to, today is a good day to do that. 
Not tomorrow, not next week, not next month, not next year, today. Today is a good day to say you're sorry to someone who you have wronged. Today's a good day to do that. Today is a good day to do that good thing that you have had on your heart to do for some time now, but you've just pushed it off. Today is a good day to do that. While his mercies are new today, let's jump on it. Today is a good day because today is the day the Lord has made. And he has given you breath in your lungs today to do whatever it is that he is calling you to do. I was reminded of this actually on Thursday at about 10.45 a.m. Was it Steve? Thursday? Picking on Steve a lot, this, this series. Steve Smith, one of our elders here in the third row with his wife Sandy, um, gives me a call. 10.45 and says, Pastor John, you available for lunch? And I got this text on my heart. Of course, I, I got to say yes. Of course, I'm available for lunch. I've learned over time, even though I had 12 things on my list that I still needed to do that day, when a man who's wise and in his 70s, is it okay if I say that, Steve? Maybe not. Um, when a man who's wise, full of wisdom, and in his 70s asks you to go to lunch, guess what? You clear your schedule. You figure out how to get there. You work longer into the day. You work longer into the week, and, and you make sure you can do that if at all possible. Today, that day, was a good day to get lunch with my friend Steve. And I've learned, and I, I'm, you know, you guys are like varsity when it comes to this. Many of you, you have kids, grandkids, at the Van Dorns here. Um, you, you know that time is borrowed to the degree where your kids or your grandkids, your child or your grandchildren, when they say, hey, I'm gonna do this, can you go? Can you show up? Today's a good day to probably say yes to that, if you can. I mean, some of the most exciting times that I have with my daughter and the most memorable times are times where I just get to drive her to school and pick her up from school. And I just look forward to those times with her in the back seat, listening to some Christian hip hop music or some Christian country music. And we're just, we're just cruising. And it's just her and I. Just talking life, listening to music. She recently had a, over actually this past summer, got her involved in a basketball camp and a lot of the parents, and I get it, man, you know, your schedules aren't flexible. You just drop them off and you roll and you come back two hours later and pick them up. Um, for me, for the position I have, for the most part, I have some flexibility. And so if I need to work longer into nights and work at home or work over the weekends, um, I'm all about that. So I just stay there for every day of the basketball camp and I just watch her play ball. Some of y'all have four or five kids. Y'all can't do that because you can only be in one place at one time. I have one daughter right now, and I'm just all in. That girl's shooting hoops. She, she made one, and she'd run right up to me and go, that's one, Dad. 
She'd make it again. Two, dad, two, four, five, just kept going. I'm like, I, I just, there ain't nothing better for me right now. Dad's always gonna be here until he's not. And as long as I'm here, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be present. Second thing I think we can pull from this is eternity. Eternity is a long time. Psalm 90, 12 says, teach us to number our days that we might apply our hearts to learn wisdom. Some of y'all been for the last 45, 55 minutes wondering what in the heck is this thing? I saw this illustration some time ago. It's actually 14 years old or so. Uh, from a pastor by the name of Francis Chan. And what this rope represents, the, this portion, the brown portion, and just envision this rope just keeps going on and on and on. It's infinite. But what this rope represents is the brown portion, eternity. And eternity just keeps going and going and going and going and going and going. But what this red portion that our facility director, Dave, was kind enough to tape for me with some red electrical tape, what, what this represents is our life. And for some of us, it's this long. For some of us, it's half that length. For some of us, man, we really got we a good long life. We're the normal Bushmans of the world, and we get like another inch. Praise be to God, right? Um, but all of us have a little bit of this. And what ends up happening is we end up pouring all of our heart, our time, our focus, our attention, our boast in this. And that's it. Look what I've done. And we work so hard. We get to retirement age just so we can enjoy this little portion And then there's all of this. And the reality is this dictates how you will spend this. All of eternity. How are you spending this? Because eternity is a long time. And how we spend this dictates how we live in this. And don't get it twisted. It's still all grace. This is all grace for us as believers. We, we don't make it without grace. We don't make it without his mercy. We definitely don't make it without his kindness. But this, this isn't worthy of our boast. But the one who rules eternally, he, he is worthy of our boast, he is worthy, he's worthy of it all. Life is short and eternity is long. It's really stinking long. It's eternal. Last point, then I wanna pray. God's will, in lieu of all of this, we don't have time to waste. Speak to someone with white or gray hair, 
or no hair today, um, if you can, they'll tell you that life is short. And in lieu of that, God's will should always be our plan A. God's will should always be our plan A. A little bit about me. I have plans and passions. I'm kind of a visionary type of guy that I get really excited about and I strategically consider them and oftentimes they keep me up at night or they wake me up early in the morning. But I try to hold these things open-handed because I've learned in just 35 years of living on this side of heaven, if God calls me to pivot or if his will instructs me to go another way, then I have to not hold on to things so tightly. And if his will's redirecting me, that's, I want to be about that. Now, I know you might be asking, how do we know his will, Pastor John? How do we know his will? Here's what I'll tell you. Get into the word of God. This is his written will. This is his revealed will. Get into the word of God. Let the word of God transform your mind and then let God's word be a light unto your path. And you, you'll find his will for your life. And it often, almost always, looks a lot different than your plan for your life does. And so here's some big moments in my life where I'm just, I'm working through this sermon and I'm just thinking like, man, I've had some pivot moments because God's will needed to be a plan A in my life. And he's given me the grace to realize that. At a church camp when I was 13 years old, some of y'all heard some of these stories, some of y'all haven't. Um, God put it on my heart that I was gonna be a preacher. I'm 13 years old, I'm at a church camp, a couple thousand young people like myself at 13, and we're hearing this man by the name of Tom Farrell preach. I'm not even a Christian yet, but God puts on my heart clear as day, you're, you're gonna preach. I go home, I tell my mom, I'm grateful I did because everyone would still be thinking I'm crazy. I tell my mom at 13, that's what's gonna happen. She basically says, we'll see about that, young man. You got like a two GPA. You got a, we'll see. It wasn't until I was in my first semester of the nursing program, I'm about 21 years old, God hits me like a ton of bricks and says, you know for the last like eight years I've been calling you to preach. What are you doing in this nursing program? And I did something you should probably never do, but it worked out in this case. I made a deal with God. I said, well, God, you know, if you, if you don't want me to be in this program, I've studied so hard for this test. I have a, a, a good grade in this class. Um, just let me fail this test that I'm about to take in 30 minutes. And I left that test boasting to my friends. And we were talking answers that we got. And then I'm like, oh, yeah, you know, this is the anatomical position. We're talking all anatomy and everything. And uh, I get my test score later that day. And it's a 78%. And that is failing in nursing school. And so I grabbed my bags in the middle of class because they showed you your test shortly after. I grabbed my bags, grabbed my books, and said, I guess I'm withdrawing. And uh, I walked out of the middle of class that day and withdrew and started preaching the next week with fourth and fifth grade ministry through Youth for Christ voluntarily. I did that for about six years. Pivot. I want God, 
I want God's will to be a plan A. God put on my heart in a, in a gym in Bourbon, Illinois. I was at a gym in Bourbon, Illinois with my then girlfriend, Helen. And I was teaching her because I was trying to be big and bad. And I was, you know, I was feeling pretty good about myself in that day. And uh, I was teaching her how to do shoulder presses. You know, so I'm teaching my, my then girlfriend, now wife, Helen, how to do shoulder presses. I walk away, go fill up my cup for water, and I come back, and God stops me in my tracks, causes me to look at her, and he says, and it puts on my heart. So when I'm saying says, just know it's not quite audible every time, but it's a very distinct impression on my heart. calling you to marry that woman. Are you in? He didn't have to convince me anymore. I was like, I'm all in. And so that, that just changed the trajectory of our relationship from that day and that moment in the gym, walking back to watch my wife who was doing a shoulder press for the first time, I think, in her life. After Helen and I got married, God would wake me up in the middle of the night. We were attending a church in Kankakee, and he put on my heart, you need to start attending Cornerstone Church. Wake me up at 3 a.m. You need to start attending, what are you doing? You need to start attending Cornerstone Church. Wrestled with that for weeks. Tell Helen, honey, God's calling us to attend Cornerstone Church. We love the church we're at in Kankakee, Illinois. We love it. I love the pastor, he's my best friend. How can I start? Long story short, we finally heed to his voice after a few weeks talking with leadership, go to Cornerstone Church. Within three weeks, the youth leaders leave and there's a need in the church. We start leading youth group at that church. And a year and a half later, a pastoral position opened up and God allowed me to fulfill that role. Around four years, into that position, God was clearly calling us here, and it was solidified. It was months of discerning with the team here, with the search committee here, everything I was reading and watching on YouTube. So once it was solidified, this is where we're going. Helen was all in. She was like, this is where we need to go. We're all in. Um, pandemic hits, worldwide pandemic, and all the financial gurus, because again, I'm a planner, so I'm studying, I'm watching YouTube, watching uh, and reading all of these clips. All the financial gurus say that I was reading, you'd be crazy to buy a home in 2020. It's a stupid idea. There's a pandemic. Don't make any big decisions like that in 2020. Yet I felt the Lord was urging us to purchase a home even though someone from our board had an opportunity for us to rent a home and we just really needed to sign on the dotted line and we were gonna be renting a home in Coopersville. Um, I just didn't feel that's what God wanted us to do. And so we literally purchased a home just seeing it on FaceTime and having our friends Karen Hall and Jim Hall walk through the home and basically just give us the approval of it. So we signed a contract without actually seeing the home that we have. And when we got to that home, the word we got from the Lord was enjoy this home. It's a gift to you and be generous with it. And we've longed to do that ever since. And it's a good thing we got into a home in 2020. <laughs> and in 2021, God woke me up in the middle of the night and he put a word on my heart and this time it was audible. 
He put a word on my heart, one single word. I ain't going to share it today. It was one word. And I was up for four hours wrestling with God on the floor over this one word. What does this mean? And I'll tell you now, two and a half years later, I'm still discerning that. Again, I don't want to make this boast about me, but I want to share with you that in your life, God's will should always be a plan A. Should always be a plan A. Be ready to hold things open-handed and pivot when he calls you. My point in closing is his will is always best. It has never left me empty, but it has always satisfied the greatest ache in my soul, which is to bring him glory. And however we can do that best, we should long to commit our lives to it. The point is simple. Follow him with all of your heart today. Let him guide you every step of the way whether that is one day, 100 days, or 10,000 more days on this earth, each day that we have is a day that he has given us to follow him so that he can ultimately be our greatest boast. And his way is so much better than our way. His way is so much more glorious than our way. All of our lives are short, no matter if you get 110 years here on earth or if you get 30. All of our lives are short. But praise be to God that eternity is long. And as his people, we get to enjoy him and worship him forever. Forever. And we get to live in his goodness. Would you join me in prayer? Father, I thank you for your kindness. I thank you.